Thank you for tuning in to the Living Hope Church podcast. This is a free resource given to you uh, for your benefit and for your faith to be grown in the Lord. So we encourage you, if you are a Living Hope Church member, to share this podcast, to share these sermons, if they have fueled your faith in any way. And if you are not a Living Hope Church member, we pray and encourage you to stay and remain faithful in a local body, a local church for the building of the body, and that this would only be a supplement for your faith. But we do pray that this encourages you in your faith, all for His glory and for His name's sake. Thank you for tuning in, and let's get into the sermon. I want to frame our message portion with two passages. One is from the end of Matthew, and then when I finish my message, uh, I'll read from John chapter 20. But here's Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So in light of this momentous Resurrection Sunday, let us participate in the standard saying that has been gone on for centuries. I will say he is risen and you will respond. He is risen indeed. It doesn't matter if you're just in your homes, but just uh, we're going to say it three times. Ready? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Glory be to God. You know, during this holy week of 2020, we've been walking through the journey of Jesus. We saw on Palm Sunday last Sunday when Jesus came into Jerusalem as a king, he did not fear, but trusted where the Father was sending him. He knew that his time had come to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We saw three days ago that trust in the Father turned into obedience. Jesus knew the Father so well and so intimately that he was willing to trust the Father wherever he led Jesus even if it meant bearing the burden of the sin of the world and dying on the cross. This morning on Resurrection Sunday, we see the fruit of obedience, which is joy. We are able to have joy this morning because of the truth of the resurrection, which means following Jesus and obeying him is not in vain. Knowing God and living his life his way, no matter the cost, is not a worthless pursuit. 
Since we are about 2,000 years removed from these events, it is always good to review the facts because our trust in Jesus comes from knowing the truth. And I want to address two groups of people this morning. First, for those who are Christians, this time is to be reminded of the truth of the resurrection. And as a result of us, of our faith being rooted in truth, it will bring joy and rejoicing to our hearts on this high, holy day. The second group is for those who are seeking or wondering what this Jesus thing is all about. I share the facts of the resurrection to you. I do this so that you may seriously consider the person of Jesus, not just his teachings, as good as they are, but who he is. It is the teaching of Christianity that if the resurrection did not occur, then our faith and our joy is empty. It's worthless. So whatever choice you make, which God has given you the freedom to, to, to do so, your beliefs must still account for the facts that I will share this morning about the resurrection. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we rejoice with great exceedingly joy of the risen Savior, Jesus. Yes, he has risen indeed. May you speak through me at this time, though it's through a screen, though it's not live in person. I ask that you use this time to meet us wherever we're at, wherever the listeners are at and the watchers are at, that you would speak and meet them right now. Holy Spirit, I ask that you touch each person's heart with your love and with your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, first off, some of the facts are based on eyewitness testimony. And this eyewitness testimony was recorded shortly after Jesus was crucified. The primary documents that record the events of Jesus' life as well as his resurrection are found in what's called the New Testament of the Bible. And there are four documents in particular that are named after the authors of those documents. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some of these documents refer to or include material that came before these documents were composed. Okay, and We have an, an example of such an early uh, material as in one of the letters of Paul in 1 Corinthians. He writes this, For I, I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is uh, Peter's Aramaic name, and then to the twelfth. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. This creed that Paul passes on shows that just a few years after Jesus' death and resurrection, there is a clear formulation of what happened, a clear summary of the events that was being passed on. Jesus died, he was buried, he was raised, and he had appearances. To, he appeared to other people. Now, this very early record rules out, out of the resurrection story, that it was embellished in any way. This is a very early record, and there are no signs of embellishment. 
Now let's look at the events that they record. Was Jesus dead when he was taken off the cross? This is a huge question. If we lived thousands of years ago during the Roman Empire, and I were to tell you this so-and-so was crucified, you would know right away, oh, he's dead. That's how effective and how cruel the punishment of being crucified was that the Romans invented. In fact, crucifixion caused so much pain that it invented a new word, excruciating, which literally means out of the cross. However, because we are so far removed, let me share some of what we know medically and historically about crucifixion. First off, the nails that were used were five to seven inches long, made of rough iron. They were driven through what we call wrists today, right at the base of the hand, which uh, in the ancient world was called the hand. Was the wrist was a part of the hand back then. And that was done so that the victim would not fall off the cross. The nail would have gone through the median nerve, which is the largest nerve in the hand. The hands nailed in an outstretched position in the, on a horizontal beam would have done so while it was on the ground. Then it would have been hoisted up and dropped onto the vertical beam, most likely pulling the arms out of their sockets for the person nailed to that beam. Then the feet were nailed to the vertical beam. Being in such a position would have made it very difficult, if impossible, for the person to breathe. Thus, crucifixion was a slow death by asphyxiation. Jesus was also speared in his side, which would have pierced his lung and his heart. Now, when your heart is pierced, you die. That's just a medical fact. So if Jesus wasn't already dead from asphyxiation, he was certainly dead when he was speared. Now let's look at the burial. All four Gospels record Joseph of Arimathea requesting the body from Pilate and preparing the body and laying it in a tomb, not a dug-out grave. A large rock was rolled over the entrance. There were also several women who came and saw where Jesus' body was laid. Now, if this detail was true, if this detail was not true, but made up later, then there would be different burial accounts. So it says something when we look at the four major witnesses of Jesus and the account of his burial, that they all say the same thing, though not word for word, but that tells us that it's the same account. And that's what happened. Now the empty tomb. Early on Sunday morning, the women who had followed Jesus, saw where he was buried, came back to the same place. They found the tomb empty with the rock rolled away from the entrance and the grave clothes laying inside the tomb. This detail of women being the first ones to witness the empty tomb is significant. Women were on a very low rung on the social ladder in first century Palestine. Women's testimony was regarded as so worthless that they weren't even allowed to serve as legal witnesses in a Jewish court of law. If the disciples made up the empty tomb, for credibility's sake, they would not have made women be the first witnesses because it would have discredited the story. However, since this is the consistent testimony in all four Gospels, there is great confidence 
that this is exactly what happened, even though it was, it was embarrassing to the disciples. Now let's consider some of the appearances. It must be admitted that there were no eyewitnesses to the resurrection, meaning that there was nobody sitting there waiting and watching at the tomb, that they saw the, the tombstone rolled away and Jesus come out. There were no eyewitnesses for that moment. But that doesn't hurt the claim to the resurrection at all. All we need are to confirm two things. One, that he was dead when he was placed in the tomb. And two, that he appeared alive after. And that is what we have. Jesus appeared to, to other people over a period of 40 days. It wasn't just like one or two days. It was 40 days. And it was to different people. It was to people who not only believed, but were also skeptical. Consider Thomas and consider James, the brother of Jesus. They were both skeptical at first and would not believe based on the eyewitness testimony of the others. Witnesses saw Jesus eat food. He appeared healthy and restored. The first Corinthian passage, which is, again, is the earliest passage regarding the resurrection that we have, mentions six different appearances. One of those is to a group of not five, not 50, but 500 people at the same time. And these details rule out any sort of resurrection account being based on hallucinations or other possible explanations. Finally, let's look at circumstantial evidence. From many TV shows and just from forensic investigators, when they go to a crime scene, they gather evidence. They are gathering, and when they, the kind of evidence that they're gathering is circumstantial. They look at where uh, gun shells are laying. They look at where uh, the body might be laying in a case of a murder, somebody uh, getting injured. They look at, uh, police officers look where the cars are situated in an accident. And from that set of circumstances, they're able to, with circumstantial evidence, piece together what happened. And so from circumstantial evidence, uh, let me share how it points to the resurrection of Jesus. And I'll offer three. First, the resurrection was the central claim that the disciples proclaimed, and they died for it. They could have denied it, and they were all given a chance to deny the resurrection of Jesus and having seen him alive after he was crucified. But they did not. You know, people do not die for something they know to be true. Second, skeptics. We have evidence of skeptics, people who did not believe becoming believers in the resurrection. I've already mentioned Thomas and James. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who uh, records that passage in 1 Corinthians, would be another one. They experience, each of them experienced something significant for them to change from disbelief to belief. And three, the earliest Christians were Jews. And the most important day of the week for Jews was Saturday, what was the Sabbath day. Now these Jews, these first Christians who were Jewish changed the day of the week where they worshiped from Saturday to Sunday. Now, now this is 
Very significant, because this would be like Americans changing the 4th of July as our Independence Day to, to some other date. Only something very important, even greater of greater significance, would change such a different day of celebrating our independence. And so that those three lines are circumstantial evidence to the resurrection. Something occurred beyond just a naturalistic explanation. They saw Jesus after they expected him to be dead, and he was alive. So now we come, after laying out these, these facts, and again, this is an abridged version. There's much more research one can do that's out there to read up on these things. But where do these facts lead you? For Christians, hopefully it leads to joy. Joy. Resurrection Sunday is a joyous day. The one in whom you have placed your trust was obedient to the point of death on a cross and then was raised again three days later. It is worth celebrating. We are forgiven of our sin and God out of love has redeemed us and is making us into better people who know him and trust him and obey him in all things. For those who are seeking and wondering about Jesus and the life he offers, the truth of the resurrection shows that Jesus' main message is true. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is here and now, and you can enter into the kingdom of God through Jesus. The coronavirus Wars, deaths, and famine are all indications that we are broken and that we live in a broken world. Jesus came to restore us from that broken world that we live in. And because he lives, we have a living hope, not a false hope. We all long for this thing called home, this place where we are loved and accepted for who we are, a place where People can work fruitfully with their hands. A place where people are provided for out of love, not out of, not out of obligation. We all long for this place called home. And Jesus went to the cross and his resurrection shows that God has provided a way for us to come home back to him because he loves us so much. Let me end with a quote from a Christian author, Nancy Guthrie, who writes about what Jesus came to bring with a new creation. It's called, the book is entitled, Even Better Than Eden. And when God created, he made Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden. This was the place where God was to have fellowship, to dwell with mankind. And the point was to spread that garden to the ends of the earth so that God could fellowship and dwell with mankind for always. But mankind failed. Adam and Eve sinned. And as a result, they were kicked out of the garden. And so Jesus comes back. The reason the death and resurrection are so pivotal is because Jesus brings back the means for us to come back, not just to the garden, but something even better. Listen to this quote. The power of the good news, that is why Jesus came to die. Jesus himself is the gospel. The power of the gospel still brings life when there is death. Hope when there is despair. Beauty when there is brokenness. As the gospel goes out and people take hold of the risen Christ by faith, by trusting in him, 
The new creation continues to transform this world. This is what Paul was talking about when he wrote, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. In other words, to be joined to the risen Christ is to have the newness and glory and life of the greater Eden breaking into your life in the here and now. My friends, the kingdom of heaven is at hand because Jesus has risen from the grave. Before I read the last passage, let's just say this, this, this saying again that he has risen indeed again together. Three times. So, he is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Now let's read, let me read from John chapter 20, 11 through 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels, angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the garden gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. Let me close in prayer. Jesus, your name means something because you are the resurrected Lord. You are with us today. As you say in your word, never will I leave you nor forsake you. We thank you for the great work that you did on the cross. And that we rejoice with the exceeding joy that you have risen from the dead. And that is based on historical fact. And we have accounts of eyewitnesses who were there. Some who were skeptical and they changed because they met you after you had died and rose again. May our hearts be filled with joy. And would you use the music coming forth to just round out this time of celebration where we sing praises and and lift up your name as the risen Savior. We give you thanks and praise this morning. I pray that you would extend your love through all these screens that people are watching on. Extend your love to each of them, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless.